inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a new episode of Time to Shine. And today's interview is all about storytelling. And for that, we have a special guest who is Karen Eber. She is an author, international leadership consultant, and keynote speaker. Her talk on TED, How Your Brain Responds to Stories and Why They Are Crucial for Leaders, continues to be the source of inspiration for millions. As the CEO and chief storytelling of Eber Leadership Group, Karen helps companies build leaders, teams, and culture one story at a time. She gets lectures at universities including the London School of Business, Stanford, and MIT. And now she's author of the book The Perfect Story, How to Tell Stories That Inform, Influence, and Inspire. Hello, Karen. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. It's, it's always exciting to to hear about storytelling. There's a very recent book that you have published. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Very excited to have it in the world. Yeah, indeed. And you also have a fantastic TED talk also about storytelling and showing showing your storytelling skills as well. So it was, it was a ni nicely, nicely done. I enjoy watching that. Thank you. Please, let's hear a bit about yourself. If you can tell us your journey to become a speaker. I have spent time on what I say, both sides of the desk, where I worked in a corporate career for 20 years in companies like General Electric and Deloitte as a head of culture and a chief learning officer. And I was always focused on helping create healthy workspaces where people could come into work and do their best work. And then I moved on the other side of the desk as a consultant and a speaker and an author where I took that experience I had in these companies to help people think about how they're building leaders, teams, and, and culture one story at a time. And speaking is such a great way to share ideas at scale. And so over the past probably eight, nine years, I've been doing more and more of it. Um, certainly as my talk went on, Ted, that accelerated things and It's just such a, a fun way to share ideas with people. Excellent. And how and why you became the, let's say, evangelizer of storytelling? So why storytelling is the one you, you speak, uh, Leslie? Because I've always focused on how to build leaders and how to shape culture in companies, mm -hmm. I found that stories were a really compelling way to do that. When I was trying to persuade people to make investments or to um, participate in programs, there were so many people that could say no and stop everything I was trying to do, but very few people could say yes. Very few people had the budget approval. And I found that when I told stories, it would change the dynamic and interactions. And those people that might have said no came to my side and they started to help me persuade the people that said yes. And as I was doing this, People started saying, how are you doing that? Like, how do you tell a story and how do you break it down? Where are you finding ideas for them? So part of what I started to do in my leadership development work was break down how are you able to communicate effectively through stories? And that's continued to grow. 
as my talk hit TED.com, that's only grown even further. And so I did not start out as a young child or even a young professional saying, I am going to be the storyteller and teach people how to do this. But it was more the questions that I got and realizing that the way you tell a story makes a difference. And there is a way to break it down so that anybody can be a great storyteller. So I backed into it. I got forced into it in many ways, but I'm so happy to be in it. Hmm, excellent. I know that from your book, there's part of the book is about the science of storytelling. So why storytelling works. So back with science, if we go into that, because thinking storytelling is something that, yeah, several trainers, authors have been talking in the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, maybe a lot. Others were telling before, but if we compare to what we know today, based on science, to what, let's say, yeah, Joseph Campbell, when he wrote his book like 70 years ago. So what what we know today that these previous authors didn't know about storytelling? You know, it's funny because Joseph Campbell's model, which is the structure that's used for things like the Star Wars films, I think it's still very relevant today, but not in every context. Mm. Because it's existed for so many years, people often point to that as here's what you should use for a story structure. And for your average person, I don't recommend that because it's really quite complicated. And there are so many things that can happen that can make the brain tune out. And so what's happened in science is we've learned how people are um, taking in information, how we are experiencing things with emotions, how emotions are impacting our decision making, and that we do make decisions through emotions and not through rational thought. You know, we can start to measure moment to moment when is someone's brain engaged? When are they likely to take an action or make a decision or contribute money? And you can't ignore the brain. Whereas I think when when Joseph Campbell started or other storytelling models started, it was just to entertain, which is wonderful. But now we're in this place where we can really start to look at how are people responding to information and how do we factor that in when we're communicating to make sure it's the most compelling thing. So I do think there's more simple models that the average person can use and then make choices that engage the brain in the most impactful way. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And what happened to our brains, if you're thinking now, trying to imagine, we're just hearing audio, how, how you are you're explaining all this, but uh, what happened to our brains when, when we listen to information versus story, let's say? So many different things are happening in our brain, but a few that I think are really helpful to understand is that when we're sitting in a meeting or we're hearing someone just share information, maybe going line by line in Excel, a really small part of our brain is activated. It's called Wernicke's area. It's about the size of a walnut and it's above your ear. And what happens is our brain reads or hears these words and it immediately decides, yes, we know what that means or no, I don't know what that means. And that's it. We're not engaging with it. Our senses aren't involved. Our emotions aren't involved. And often our long-term memory isn't involved because we will forget what's being said in about an hour. At least 50% of that is forgotten. But when you start talking a little more dynamically, so if I'm describing to you about walking on the beach, and with each step, we feel the warm sand under our feet and moving between our toes, and you can hear the waves crashing on shore, 
and you feel the wind just blowing across your cheeks and can almost taste the salty air on your lips. Mm-hmm. What's happening now is your whole brain starts to get engaged. All of the different areas of senses are lighting up as though you were on the beach, even though you're not. And it's because storytelling creates this artificial reality. It allows for us to put ourselves in these experiences that we may have never had before. So this is why you watch a movie and your heart is racing if it's a horror film because you're anticipating what's next. Like your brain is thinking you are a character in this film, even though you're not moving. This storytelling gives us this experience of this artificial reality, which allows for us to think about what would we do in situations that maybe we haven't had? How would we respond and not react? Also, as you are listening to a story or reading it, you experience empathy for the storyteller. So we respond to someone being vulnerable and sharing a story and feel empathy towards them. That leads to an increase of this neurochemical oxytocin. This is a bonding chemical that can't be commanded or fabricated. It's only released in these moments of genuine connection. And it tells the brain, this person, this this group feels safe to be around. And the more oxytocin that's released, the more trust that's formed. So as you're listening to a story, you actually can develop more trust towards the person telling the story. This is why maybe you spent time with a friend you haven't seen for a while and you come away feeling really bonded to them and that you understand them better or Maybe you've heard a leader speak and they're sharing a story and you come away thinking like, I really trust them. I like what they're doing. Or maybe you've been a part of a team meeting and offsite where you have the chance to talk to people you don't normally talk to and you come away feeling just closer and and tighter as a team. All of this is because of storytelling, because as we have shared these stories in these casual moments, this oxytocin is released. So there's so many different things that have happened, but most importantly, our brain becomes more engaged in it, starts to store these stories almost as our own experiences so that when we encounter them, we can make informed decisions about what we might do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So different part of the brain, you also mentioned the oxytocin, the the hormones. So all this is, yeah, has been revealed by science lately. Thank you for sharing that. So going into more yeah, the how-to, more tactical thinking of people who are listening to this, who have, maybe they have, they could be right now creating stories or looking for stories in, in order to to perform their next uh, talks, presentations. So what would you say are the most common mistakes that you see today made in storytelling? Two biggest ones are um, that we focus on the story we want to tell and not the story that the audience needs to hear. That's the biggest. And it is that we forget that stories actually begin with audiences. Even if you know the story that you want to tell, you're going to tell it differently each time, depending on who you tell it to. And so you always want to start with that audience of who are you talking to? What is it that you want them to think or feel as a result of your story? Like what's that internal shift that you want to create? And what do you want them to know or do? What outcomes, what actions do you want them to do? What's their mindset today? And what might be an obstacle? I find starting with those four questions helps you really center on who you're talking with and what you're trying to have them achieve. Even if you've already chosen the story that you want to tell, um, it's really important to start there. Because if we don't, 
we tend to center on ourselves and just tell the story that we love to tell, Mm -hmm. but it just, we might be missing the things that we can do to make it more meaningful for the audience and connect them to it. So recognizing, always start with your audience and really get clear on who they are. That's the biggest. And the second one is somewhat related. It's that we will often get into a story, but not put any structure in it. And it sounds, it often sounds like something like this, like, it was Tuesday and I went to go meet my friend for lunch and actually maybe it was Monday. Mm-hmm. I think it was Monday because it was raining and I had to go back and change my clothes and I was running late and I no, you know what? I think it was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We all do this, right? There's no story there. I'm just <laughs> giving you all of these irrelevant facts while you're waiting. Like, when is she going to start the story? I don't care <laughs> what day it was. I don't care what you're wearing. And what's happening in these moments is that as the storyteller, we're trying to put ourselves back in that moment because we want to tell it accurately. Like we want to connect to it and we want to make sure we're getting all the things right. But we're getting hung up on details that the audience does not care about and it's not important to. And we're lacking any type of structure for someone to follow. So there's four questions you can ask yourself for a basic story structure, which is what is the context? Who's involved in the story and why should the audience care? Write out one sentence for that. And then what is the conflict? This is the heart of the story, the the tension that is in need of resolution. What is that? And write out a sentence for that. Third is what is the outcome? What happens as a result of the conflict? What do people do? What are we actually seeing? Write out a sentence for that. And the fourth is the takeaway. This is the piece that most people don't do, but it's so important. It is, what do you want the audience coming away with from this story? And the reason you do that is you can then take that back to what you said you wanted your audience to think or feel, know or do, and make sure, is my story doing that or do I need to go back and make tweaks? So in five minutes, you can sit down and ask yourself, what is the context? What is the conflict? What is the outcome? What is the takeaway? And get a basic structure for your story to tell it, which is going to not only make it easier for you to tell, it's going to make it easier for the audience to listen. Yes. <laughs> I like a lot the, how you told that story, that uh, messy story that illustrates very well how a story could end up if, if you just don't take the time to to make some simple structure. So yeah, it's... Yeah, get lost in the details going back and forth and all the directions coming back is like a <laughs> Yeah, indeed. And also the other point you mentioned is the that the story has to be centered on the in the audience. And I think it's something that I also have felt at some point that I'm thinking of one story. And it might feel that there's only one way to tell the story. No, my way to tell the story. But as you said, you have to adapt because every audience is different. Will Some things will resonate with some audience, some others will not. So need to adapt. A fun challenge you can do if you only see one way to tell the story mm-hmm. and you're not sure how to adapt it is figure out your version and then play with like, what would this story look like if Elon Musk told it? Mm-hmm. What would he do to bring the story to life and, and how would that be different? You know, what would the story look like if told from one of the characters in the story? I find when you start playing with those things, 
you can notice, oh, there are different ways to to tell this and different points to bring forward. Yeah, definitely a good, uh, a good practice. <laughs> you already gave some um, tactical advice there, especially the structure. I find it's, it's one of the key things, in my opinion, about storytelling. So good structure. What would you say uh, the top, um, yeah, the most important thing about creating a story? To become a better better solitary, what are what are the top advice, the most important thing that you should do? The question I get most often is when should I tell a story? And I really wish people would ask, when should I not tell a story? <laughs> I find that people worry about should I tell a story in this moment? But what's happening is they're not telling stories enough. Mm. If you want to become a better storyteller, try to tell as many stories as you can in your day. Don't expect someone's going to come to you and say, we want you to give this presentation and we want you to start with a story because no one will do that. Mm. But when you start telling stories in, in moments with friends and in different moments in work, people will notice and then they're going to say, do that again. Can you tell that story mm. again? The best thing to become better is to just try as often as you can to tell stories. They're not all going to work. I still tell stories that don't work, and that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. That's how I learn what works and what doesn't. Number one, just keep trying to find different ways to do it, and don't expect someone is going to say, please tell us a story. Just find the opportunity. Yeah, it's true. Most people don't ask about stories, don't, don't request a story. They ask, well, <laughs> information, right? <laughs> Or worse, this happens quite a bit in business. People are, are told, you know, we need you to give this presentation and you only have a few minutes and don't tell a story, tell, focus on the data. And that's wrong. The way you're going to get the best understanding is when you are connecting people to what you're explaining with a story, especially data. And so you can't expect by demonstrating you can tell a story is how you're going to get the best results and you're going to get understanding. But most people don't recognize that, and so they're not going to ask for it. Yeah, indeed. One thing also that is very tactical is when, at the time, the whoever is going to be the presenter and is convinced to to tell stories, but this person doesn't believe I don't have stories or I don't find the story. So what, what would you say to someone who is struggling to find the stories? The best time to come up with a story is when you don't need one. And so no. I always recommend... Start a toolkit of potential ideas. Take a notebook or an app, have a place to put these ideas and start going through your life. Think about your professional life and different experiences that you've had, maybe a really challenging um, project or experience, the, the best person you've ever worked with, great advice you've received. Think of your personal life. What was the first concert you went to? What's something you should have gotten rid of, but you can't part with? Start making a list of all of these things and don't worry about when you're going to use them. Don't even write out a full story. What you're trying to do is create a bank of ideas. Um, notice podcasts that you love. Uh, if you enjoy going to museums or, or maybe seeing plays or shows or anything like however you move through the world, the things that, that you enjoy, start to notice the things that are intriguing to you and add them to a list. Because when it's time to tell a story, you then go to this list and you ask yourself, okay, well, we've defined the audience and what we want them to get out of this. So now let's go down this list and think about which one of these will help me achieve what I said I wanted them to know, think, feel, or do. 
often it might not even be something on the list, but it may trigger a whole new idea. But if you don't start and have a bank of ideas, if you don't have a toolkit in that moment where you want to tell a story, it is that much harder to find an idea because you're feeling the pressure of a deadline and your body is releasing some cortisol saying it's Mm -hmm. time to focus. And so it's going to be that much harder to come up with stuff. So start a toolkit today. Use these different prompts as you move through life. Notice what is intriguing to you and keep this list and keep updating it because it's going to help you and you're going to recognize there are so many stories and so many moments that you can make relevant without recognizing it. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a very good piece of advice because... Yeah, when when you need it, you might have, as you said, the the stress, the pressure, and you you just get blocked and you don't find the story at, at that moment. It's too late. One topic uh, in which it's a bit, I know it's 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 very important topic today about climate change, and sometimes there is criticism that uh, the ones who talk about climate change don't don't connect because they don't they don't they don't tell stories or they don't tell the right stories or make people just uh, kind of. Try to convince by fear, let's say, and, and that's, uh, I guess, it's counterproductive. So, what is your your best piece of advice in when someone who wants to talk about promoting climate change and, and using stories? There's this term ego anxiety that mm, has actually yes. been identified as a, a health concern. And it's resulted because there are many people that are very concerned about climate change and don't see a path forward. Mm. They don't see hope. They don't believe enough people are doing the work. And what storytelling is doing is it's creating community for people that are feeling this eco-anxiety that um, I know many people in Gen Z feel like they're being called on to do all the work and they want to see their parents and and friends that are millennials and Gen X and boomers step up. And so when you first just start having these conversations at your dinner table and in the community, you create this moment of, okay, I'm not alone because we talked about the oxytocin neural chemicals. It's a, we have a shared understanding and I, I don't feel as alone, which is really important. And we're starting to see more and more universities and and places creating these storytelling sessions for that. But the second piece is there is an awareness piece to it. There is a knowledge building and an action taking. And there are times where fear could be a great motivator, but there are also times where people might need to see hope. And so this is where getting really clear on the audience and where they're at and what you're trying to do is key. You know, When we are telling stories, we do have a choice of, am I telling an uncomfortable story, which might be one where there is fear involved, where... I am, uh, you know, painting a, if we don't do this, then this happens by this date. And, you know, that's very uncomfortable. But we also can tell a feel-good story. We can tell stories of success that people have had and what they've done and what it looks like. It's ultimately coming down to who you're talking to and what you're trying to do and how do you help move them forward. But stories are a much more dynamic way to do this, especially when you are communicating data. Because what happens especially with climate change, there are people that can look at the same piece of data and interpret it very differently. They can say, you know, if we say the data speaks for itself, that's actually not true because we each have different assumptions, which is at the heart of our decision-making. 
when we're trying to decipher a piece of data, our brain is going into our long-term memory and it's asking, how is this? Like, do we know what this is? Have we experienced this before? Is this related to what we know? And because we all have different experiences, we all have different interpretations, even with what feels like the most simple of data. So by telling a story about the data and bringing people to the same starting point, you are ensuring that we're at least having that same shared understanding of this piece of data and what to do about it. But there's just so many endless ways to create community and give people hope or to help people understand data and get to some next steps in a different way. Okay. Yeah, excellent. Definitely um, different ways, as you said. So it's interesting to explore for once more. Talk about, about these very important topics today. Karen, could you share with us what is your favorite quotation? There's a, a doctor who is in the Doctors Without Borders organization that he talked about storytelling as the basic unit of understanding. He said stories are the basic unit of understanding. And I really love that. Because when you hear a story, you just come away with so much information and understanding and interpretation and it motivates you. And it's our oldest teaching tool. So I, I think about that quite often. Mm -hmm. Great. Could you now recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential for you? There's a book by the um, Hollywood producer, Brian Grazer. So he has worked closely with Ron Howard for years and, and they have paired up on many movies. But he wrote this book probably over a decade ago called Curious Mind. And he takes you behind the scenes of how he's gone about putting together um, the production for these films, which got really quite involved. And, and at the heart of it, he says how he just approaches everything with curiosity. And it's through curiosity that he has interviewed world leaders and, and been able to achieve all these different things. And you come away from the book thinking about your own curiosity and how to be open enough to be curious in different settings. Hmm. It sounds very interesting. I'm I'm curious about reading that book actually. Yes. <laughs> how, how many others will will be as well? So please now share with us an exercise, something practical that you would recommend us doing regularly, a routine to shine. We spend I do two things every week. I spend time curating my list of stories. Mm-hmm. So I make sure every week I think about things I've experienced, meetings I've been in, questions I've been asked, documentaries I've watched, and I add to my list of ideas without knowing where I'm going to use it, but I'm keeping that fresh. Because when it's time to tell a story, I want to find something that I have a lot of energy towards. And sometimes, you know, something that is a year old on the list, I feel maybe a little less connection with. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. And then the second thing I do, I plan two, three weeks out. I look at my calendar and I see where do I make sure I have thinking time? Where do I make sure I have time to practice my talks? Where can I block this time to mm -hmm. do some writing? I'm continually looking at how do I optimize my time so I can be best? Or I know I'm going to go do a keynote. So how do I, I get my energy up? And so I find those two things help me be a better speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you say that you um, you write these journal stories, your you collect your own stories. You do it so often, actually. Well, I don't do it so often. I I, I also had the practice of yeah writing down. Okay, this is a story. 
but I was not doing so often. So I, I do it every once, once in a while when I think, okay, now it's time to try to remember the stories. But yeah, it's true. It's, if you write it down when they are fresh, you will not forget them. Otherwise, you'll say, what was that, what I, that idea that I had just one week ago yeah. or one month ago? What is it idea? In the moment is best, but sometimes we just can't, you know, you're in the mm -hmm. middle of a meeting or something. And so I find when I do it weekly, I can go back and look at my calendar and I can see who was I talking to? What was I doing? Mm. Was there anything that came from that? And yes. that's a nice prompt. It's harder. If you're a month out, it's a little harder to remember those details. So once a week, five minutes is mm. much easier. Yeah, definitely. A great piece of advice. Thanks a lot, Karen, for this super interesting conversation. We we learn a lot about storytelling. So please let us know how people can uh, learn more about you, find you. What are the best ways? My website is the best way. It's my name, K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. You can find my book on there, The Perfect Story, links to my TED Talk, and I have a, a brain food blog that has a whole bunch of stories and tools you can leverage. Perfect. Thank you very much, Karen. It's been a pleasure talking with you and all the best. Thank you so much. Are you working on the tech industry? If so, do you want to start taking action, crafting your own tech talk, and soon getting booked to speak? I have designed specially for you who work in the technology industry an online training program. Rock the Tech Stage On Demand is an online self-paced training course to become a successful speaker in tech events. Visit today www.rockthetechstage.com slash on demand and start your journey now.